come this July, Melanie and I will be mar- have been married now for 12 years. Yep, it's long. It's been a great 12 years. Uh, she's not even in service, and I can say that tenfold. Uh, but it's been a, a wonderful time. And the, but I have to tell you, I have to confess, the first few years of marriage, I was a terrible husband, I think. I, I just wasn't, I wasn't a great husband at times. And I think that I've narrowed it down to the reason. I was a decent listener, but I wasn't very good at hearing. Uh, let me give you a few examples. Uh, date night. Where would I choose to go to eat for date night? Somewhere like Buffalo Wild Wings, okay? Which, not very romantic anyway, but then what do you have at Buffalo Wild Wings? TVs everywhere. Little TVs, big TVs, screens, they're everywhere. There's sports everywhere. So we would have a conversation, but not really be having a conversation because my eyes are, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I was listening, but not really hearing. Uh, several other situations, and I, Mel and I kind of brainstormed these this week. One, uh, one evening we went dress shopping. Melanie invited me to go with her to J.C. Penney's and uh, pre-kids, and I think it was even around Easter. She's picking out a dress for Easter, and I'm sitting outside of the, the, the dressing room, that little chair that was made just for guys, and this was like pre-nice phone, so I'm playing that that little worm game, uh, I think on my phone, that you eat the thing and you get the worm gets longer. You remember that one? Uh, way back in the day. And uh, she comes out in two dresses, and at the end of this trying on time, she says, so which one do you like best? Okay, now... This is early on. No alarms went off at this point, okay? There was nothing in me that was going like, wah, 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 warning, warning, warning. Nothing like that at all. So these are the words that came out of my mouth. I like the first one because this one doesn't really do anything for you. I know. I know. It was young and dumb. And ladies, I, you can just guess the look on her face. When I said that, guys, you've seen that look, okay? Uh, listening uh, but not hearing. Other times when this t- has taken place, uh, there, there was a Valentine's Day that was very memorable very on, early on when my wife said a couple of weeks before, you know what, you don't have to get me a Valentine's Day gift. <laughs> now, ladies, what do you hear there? You better have a gift for me. <laughs> Guys, what do you hear there? Hey, you really don't, you know, don't have to. So, of course, I didn't. So I show up. Our val- this is basically the first Valentine's Day that we've had together after a long-distance relationship. She has an awesome gift. I have nothing. My hands uh, and a lot of I love you's in there. Uh, did not go well. Listening but not hearing. Can we just, ladies, just between us, you know, guys, you can just kind of close your ears for a second. Do you communicate things, uh, not just in the things you say sometimes, but in some nonverbals every now and then? Can we, can we just, is that safe to, to admit this morning? Guys, do we miss those sometimes completely? I think so. Uh, Kids definitely listen but don't hear very often. How many times do you have to tell your kids to do something before they finally, finally get it? I uh, had a friend growing up. His name was Kyle Bowers. And I'd go to Kyle's house all the time. And his family was a little different. Uh, they told each other that they loved each other 
all the time. It was like they left the room and it was like, I love you. I love you too. I love you. I love you too. They would go to school. I love you. I love you too. Just constantly back and forth. Before you know it, I was getting the I love yous too. It was kind of nice. In my house, I knew my parents loved me, but it was like a kind of a, you know, once a week kind of, kind of thing. Uh, or special occasions, or just, you know, those great moments. But it was all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you. Somehow I inherited that. I tell my kids that I love them five times a day. I love you, Noah. I love you, I love you, I love you. I just, it's just all the time. Melanie, I love you. Now, there's sometimes, I, I don't think they are always listening. So what I'll do, and I don't know if you know my kids, but they're a little rambunctious sometimes. And so I'll just grab one of them by the face, by the side of the, the cheeks here, and I'll squeeze them together, and I'll look them deep in the eyes. I'll say, Brian and Michelle, your daddy loves you. He said, and she'll say, I love you too, daddy. And I'll do that, Noah Thomas, I love you. And what I'm trying to, I'm trying to communicate is deep into his soul, that these aren't just words, I mean it. And I don't want to just say words. I want to, I want to express love. And I want to show them what real love looks like. And I wonder sometimes if we are listening to certain things, but we're really not hearing. We're really, we're not hearing. We've been in this series about the upper room. And we've been looking at Jesus' teachings in the upper room. And we've gone through a couple of weeks now. And to kind of transition us out... At the end of this scene, at the end of the meal, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 26, you can turn your Bibles there. He, he actually, as the leader of the meal that night, he led them in a hymn. He led them in a hymn. They sang together. This morning, we actually have some of the words that they sang that night, the night before Jesus was on the cross. And, and we're going to put those on the screen here. Now, what I'm going to do like Jesus would is to sing the first line on the left, and you are going to respond with the, the line corresponding to the right. That was a joke. I am not going to sing uh, anything right now. But I'll say the line, and how about you say the line? So Jesus would say something like this. This is the day the Lord has made. Please, Lord, please save us. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, shining upon us. You are my God, and I will praise you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. They sang this hymn, they got up from the table, they left the upper room, and they made their way to a familiar place, a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a map, I want you to take a look at it, if we can pull it on the screen. The upper room was, if you can see this left corner, it was probably located somewhere on that end of the city. And what they did is they made their way out to the, to the gate over here on the, 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 the southern part of the city, and they went through the valley the Kidron Valley, up to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And so this took place at around midnight at night. It was dark. And at this point, they began to have, there was fear of the Sanhedrin was looking for Jesus. And so I wonder what Jesus' thoughts were that night as he left the upper room, the scene. 
and he's making his way, and he's taking steps closer and closer to the garden. I wonder if he had on his mind the mission that he had from the very beginning, the mission of the cross. I wonder with every step he was thinking about what was to come in just hours, nine hours away, give or take. I wonder if he could remember the cries just days before, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was just three or four days earlier on Palm Sunday, what we know as Palm Sunday. Now then, it wasn't known, of course, as Palm Sunday. It was known as something quite different. It was known as Lamb Selection Day. Lamb Selection Day. Now, we have a special guest this morning, and... uh, I have a friend, uh, her name is Christmas, and, uh, yep, Christmas is, a, is about one year old, and uh, I hope she's not, don't make her nervous, please, all right, Christmas is about a year old, and she's very excited to see you, I hope not too excited. Now, what would happen on Lamb Selection Day... What we know, know as Palm Sunday. Nice. Nice. There were lambs that were raised in a field in Bethlehem. Lambs were raised in a field in Bethlehem. And on this day, all of these lambs, thousands of lambs, were marched into the city from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And a family, a family... A family, they would choose a lamb to represent their family, okay? And so the lambs would, be, would come in, march in. They were a year old, and they were without blemish or defect or disease. And uh, what the family would do, they would pick out their special lamb, and every family needed one. Now, if you couldn't afford one, then two families or three families could go in together, and they would have a lamb together. On this day. And uh, so what would happen is on that day, they would select the lamb, take him home, and they would actually put a name tag, a, a sign around the neck of the lamb, and it would say the name of the family that it represented. We're going to sing a duet in a second here. Uh, you sound better than I do Christmas. Though. <laughs> so they would put the sign around their neck, and then for four days, the lamb would live, the lamb would live with the family. I wonder, I wonder if the kids would name the, the lamb. I wonder if they would name the sheep. What would we, obviously we got Christmas here, but what would you name your sheep if you had a, a sheep for a pet? Think, what's that? Lady Baba. <laughs> Lady Baba. It took me two seconds to get that. <laughs> Lady Baba, that's nice. So the lamb would live with the family. I bet the lamb would even play with the kids. I bet the lamb probably even slept with the kids. You can see them in the room and, you know. And the idea was what would happen is the lamb would, as they're living with the family, essentially the sins of the family were represented by the sheep and were literally going into the sheep. And that's what the sheep represented. Give it up for uh, Christmas here. Uh, (laughs) 
I was very nervous there, I'm not going to lie. Could have been, it could have been a lot worse. Now, what? I'm glad that, uh, hey, man. Jimmy, you're so prepared. Nice. Nice. All right, so the, the sheep lives with the family for the whole week. Now, at the end of the week, come Friday. Now, uh, come Friday, the kids aren't too happy. Because Friday, at about 9 o'clock in the morning, the sheep, the lamb was taken down to the temple. And he was bound up and placed on the altar. Now, one of the Jewish uh, scholars, uh, Josephus, no relation to Bocephus, um, he speculated about that time, give or take 250,000 lambs or sheep in the city to represent families that were there. People were coming into the city for this special Passover. And what would happen? From 9 o'clock to 3, the, the, the sheep would be bound there in the temple. And at 3 o'clock, the shofar, the, the, the horn, wah, 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 would blow. And the lambs would be sacrificed. Throats cut. Blood flowing out. And the priest would come. Now, anyone could could actually sacrifice the lamb, but only the priest could handle the blood. And they would come by with these cups, silver and gold, and they would catch the blood. They would catch the blood, and they would take the blood, and they would throw it on the altar, sprinkle it on the altar to represent the sins of the people. And with all of that blood, can you imagine through the city? There was almost like a trough that ran through the city, and the blood flowed through. And there would be a priest that they would, they would actually take turns getting water and flushing the blood down, flushing it down out, the, out of the city. Can you imagine the smell, the visuals, that, how red that must have been that day? Now, of course, we, we, we know this goes back to the 1,200 years in reference to the Passover when on the, the last night of plagues when the people were captive in, in Egypt that Jesus said to go and to take a lamb to, to sacrifice it and spread the, the blood on the doorpost as, as the death angel would come over that night and, and miss the house and, and wouldn't, wouldn't come in. And they remembered every year, every year. Now, of course, we think blood and lamb. These things, we, we're not used to these kind of words. We sing about them. We sure sang a lot about it this morning. Behold the Lamb. They're very significant. Think about John. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus, and what does he say? Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is foreshadowing of what's to come. And what would happen on a Sunday, the Sunday we know as Palm Sunday now, <clears throat> that Jesus intentionally came in in about the same area of town, in the northeast corner, where the sheep would come from where? Bethlehem. And where they were raised. And they were taken into the city. Where did Jesus come? He came from Bethany on the northeast side, riding on a colt. As people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't know if they knew it then. I Surely they didn't. But Jesus did. What they were declaring is he was the Messiah. He was the lamb. And just days later, 
he was going to be sacrificed. I wonder what it was like that day. I wonder what it was like that week. There was someone that was there that actually was a witness to, to what happened just days later on the cross. And he helped carry Jesus' cross. His name was Simon. It was time to celebrate Passover. I was traveling with my family. You men can understand how that can be, right? So you can sympathize with me. So children, thanks very little. Moms and wives, I thank you for your lack of support and confidence in my navigation skills. But I was just bound and determined to celebrate Passover in the city of Jerusalem. Now, when we got to the city, it was, I don't know if I can describe it. It was just this, this unbelievable sight. There was just like 10 times more people there than there was during the previous Passover. And there was just these angry mobs and, and people just, just everywhere. Um, as we were getting closer, I saw them. They were leading this man out of the city to become the Passover lamb. And we didn't really understand what that was. Uh, you know, as we got closer, I could hear people shout the name, Jesus! And I have heard that name before. But the Roman guards, they were, they were pushing people back as this man was carrying this, this beam across his back. And he was bloodied beyond recognition. But he was walking through the street. Now, I tried to get closer to see what, what, what all this anger and all this shouting and, and the weeping was about when this guard literally grabs me out of the crowd and says, carry that man's cross. Well, I, I had come a really long way to celebrate Passover. And if this man's blood gets on me, well, it stains me and I, I can't celebrate Passover. I, I, I don't know, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. But then I, but then I, I saw him. His, his body was mutilated beyond recognition, and you could hardly tell who it was through all the blood. And then our eyes met. And I knew then this was not a criminal. This was not some crazed man with grandiose ideas. This was the encounter with the one that was sent to set us free. He was carrying his cross, and he was struggling to stand up on his own two feet. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble with, with the Romans, so I just... I told myself, Simon, just, just, just do it. Just, just pick up his cross and, and carry it. Just forget about your sacrifices for Passover. So I, I put my arm around him, and, and we began to walk. I could feel the weight of the, on my shoulders and, and on my back. Jesus' was, was, knees were buckling because of the weight that just seemed way beyond the weight of a wooden cross. It just, it seemed like the weight of the world was, was on his shoulders. And we kept walking together. And I, I carried what I, what I could. Um, he, he carried most of it. And I could hear the insults, uh, first at him and then, and then now at me. I could I could feel the this, this, this spit and his blood on me. I could see the scars and the wounds on his, on his body. 
they, they fashioned this crown of thorns and, and they mashed it on his head and the blood got into his eyes. Then they took him to Calvary and they, they laid him on the cross and, and they nailed his hands and his feet to it. With every swing on that spike, it was like it was right into my chest. And then they stood him up. He had all his weight in his feet on that one spike. And he would push up, just trying to get a gasp of air to stay alive. I watched him do this for hours and hours. Then I couldn't watch it anymore. And then I looked down at my hands, stained with Jesus' blood. I was so worried about his blood making me unclean when it's his blood that makes me clean. He gasped his last breath, and then he died. When I look back, the events of that day. Yeah, I thought I was helping Jesus. <laughs> you know what? He was saving me. It's a big change. When we begin to look at the cross, not as a, an event but something very personal. My cross. He saved me from my sins. I was about 20-something years, 23 years old, and uh, growing up in the church, you know, I've, I've heard stories. I've heard this story every year. I've seen, if you go to watch any football game, you see John 3, 16. And you, and you listen to these words, but there's a significant moment, an, an aha moment, when you suddenly realize that Christ died for you and for your sins. And it took a moment in, in, in my youth to, to see my eyes open and realize my sins are what put him there. We listen to the words in Isaiah 53. And these words that are around for 700 years. Look at them uh, on the screen as I read them. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Christ the sins of the world. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a, a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers, it, 
is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he has taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. For he has suffered. He will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. And my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities, their sins. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils among the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin. He took on the sin of many and made intercession for their transgressions. Jesus took our sins and he died for us. Now, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he? He's God, right? Why did he, could he just say, okay, you can now be forgiven if you ask for it? There's a couple of things that we know about God. There's some qualities, some character traits of who he is. God does not change. He doesn't change. He is who he is. Uh, Tozer said it, I think, best that that. Uh, that God always acts like God. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he doesn't change who he is. We know that God is a just God. He's a God of justice. And he set up for us uh, laws and commandments and things in our lives to guide us. And when we break those commandments, we willfully do that. It's called sin. It's called sin. And being a just God, there's a punishment for sin. We know that. In Romans, it tells us about it. Romans 6, 23, for the wages, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. There's this side of God that's a God of justice. He is a God of justice. And in Romans 3, 23, it talks about that. For everyone is sin. We all have sin. There's not a person in this room. The nicest person in this room is guilty. We're all guilty of sin. We fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with this undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin, which is death. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in God. So we have a just God. God hates sin. He hates sin. There is a movie, Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one, if you remember. I don't know if you made it through all four or five of them they have now. But in the first movie, there was a scene where Elizabeth talks about the pirate code and talks about parlay. You remember that scene? And she's in front of uh, Captain Barbosa. And uh, she's like, well, according to the pirate code, you have to do this, this, and this. And Barbosa turns to her and says, well, they're not really laws as much as suggestions, okay? It's not really a code. It's more like suggestions. And it seems that God's code 
God's word, his commandments have become more like suggestions. You can kind of give and take which ones you want or you don't want. And, you, and we're in a dangerous place of really determining, you know what, I don't really like that one. So let's leave that one out. Or you know what, there's a phrase that's kind of out there and I've kind of heard a lot. Well, I don't really know if I want to serve a God that's like that or thinks that or believes that. It's a pretty dangerous place when you start telling God what is right and wrong. We have a just God. We have a merciful God, a God that is full of grace and love, that even though he saw our sin, he sent one to take our place. He sent his son to die for us. So with all this on his mind, with all this coming up just hours away, Jesus is making his way to the garden. And what happened in that scene in the garden? He falls on his face and he begins to pray. He begins to cry out to God. And we see this in Matthew 26. And he says this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he tells his disciples to stay here and keep watch. And he, he's crying out to his father, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away but I want your will to be done. Now what this scene shows us more than anything is that God was 100% God, Jesus was, and he was 100% man at the same time. He took on flesh. He felt what we felt, feel. He was tempted just like we are. In Florida, we had this passion play that we, they would have every year. I'm sure they can, are still doing it. And at the church, the, the ceiling was very low, okay? Very low ceiling, but they were... They really emphasize the cross scenes in this passion play. And so with a very low ceiling, and if you're going to have a cross scene, imagine if you will, you have to have a short cross, okay? So way back when, before I, I, I arrived there, they must have auditions or something for Jesus. And of course, you've got like a, it was like a five foot three cutoff for this Jesus because uh, he could only be a certain height to be on the cross uh, because too tall, he's going to be hitting his head on the ceiling. And they find, found this gentleman, a super nice guy, and uh, this guy's name is Don, and, and Don went all out to play the part of Jesus, okay? It's a pretty serious role, a lot of pressure if you're playing uh, the Son of God, and uh, Don grew out his hair, no wig for Don, grew out the hair, it was a year-long process, you know? The beard was happening, and then even a couple of weeks before, he would really get into the part, and he would kind of start to say things like Jesus, or, you know, just have the motions, or just really become, you know, you could just tell he was trying to method act here for this passion play in this little town in Florida, okay? And uh, he actually was, was, was quite talented. As he was on the cross, uh, he would you know, really talk, you know, make up the noises, and the makeup people were great. They were adding these stripes and these wounds, and, and each year Don got, got a little bigger and a little older, and so the makeup crew had to get a little better every year, and a little more clothes were added to Jesus on the cross, if you know what I mean, and, uh, but he really was into this part, and, and every year the Passion uh, play there would provide a lot of uh, great stories. Probably the best story was when in the middle of the darkness, of course, we're not actually nailing Don to the cross. There was a, a, a metal spike, and uh, in the darkness, the, the soldiers would hit the spike with a hammer and make the sound of a, the hammering sound of a nail going in. 
and one year, of course, the soldier hit his thumb in the darkness. And uh, he said something very inappropriate uh, for church. <laughs> Memorable year. Uh, <laughs> now, as best Don could, he, he tried to be Jesus. He was playing a part. Jesus, was, when he became a man, he wasn't playing a part. He wasn't playing a role. He wasn't acting like he was human. He became human. So when we hear things like, he was crushed, he was beaten, a crown of thorns into his head, smashed in, to be flogged, basically with this huge whip on the end of the, the, the whip, there were pieces of glass and metal and pottery. And 39 times, that was the number they came up with, 39. 40 may, it would be too close to death. They were trying to get someone as close to death as possible. 39 times he was struck by someone who was basically a professional whipper. And the, the whip would wrap around his body and grab pieces of flesh. It's been 10 years. It's hard to believe. It's been 10 years since the Passion of the Christ. And I don't know know if you've seen that movie, but I remember the first time I watched it. I had to turn away. Because just the gruesome nature of what we were watching and the images that I had in my mind before that movie couldn't compare. I don't know if the reality of what happened was even worse. But Jesus felt all of it. There was no acting there. He didn't fake cry out. The soldiers weren't hitting fake spikes on the side. They were piercing his hands and his feet. They would blindfold him. They blindfolded him and they beat him. They said, who was it that beat you? If you're the son of God, you should be able to tell us. And at nine o'clock, he was placed on a cross. And at three o'clock, scholars tell us, the same time that horn went off, the lamb was sacrificed, Jesus bled and died for us. He was fully human and he was fully God. In the garden, he came to him, back in the garden, God, if you can take this away, do it. But your will, Your will be done. Jesus chose. Let me tell you, Jesus chose to die. He tells us just just hours later when the guards came, you know what, if I wanted to, thousands of angels could show up on the scene and I could take care of business right now. He chose not to do that. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to give his life as a ransom for all, to die for our sins. Why? And he demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, he showed. Now, maybe you've, you've heard those words before. You've, you've heard that God loves you, that Christ died for you. But have you really heard those? Have you really embraced that? Have you really had that moment? 
when you know that you have a God that would love you that much, a person that would love you that much. I love hearing people's stories. I love to hear about their life before Christ and how they've given their life to Jesus and how it's amazing when I think and I just see in faces around the room, I hear some of your stories, like there's no way. There's no way you were like that. There's no way that you acted that. I don't believe it. You're, you're making this up. Occasionally, I hear a story of someone and they, they talk about their life before Christ and their face Honestly, it drops and their eyes hit the ground as they talk about things from their past. And I know in those moments that they're still living in the past. They've heard the words that they're forgiven, but they haven't heard the words. And the shame and the guilt is still there. And the defeat is still there. When Christ died, He made a sacrifice that said, we don't need any more sheep. We don't need any more goats. We don't need to do this every year. We celebrate it every year, but we come with joy because death has been defeated. Evil has been defeated. Sin has been defeated, and it can be defeated in your life. And the guilt can be taken away. God says he'll do it. Believe him. Stop believing the enemy when he says, and he shows you pictures from the past. Stop living there. It's over. It's over. Jesus died on a cross, so it can be over, and we can be free. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The band is coming right now, and this time of year, I don't know about you, I just start to notice the cross. You see more crosses everywhere. You see the white ones in your yard. You see them in different places. I saw one just the other day. I'm on a I'm on 290 going into the city. And yes, I, I took a picture while I was driving. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll have to ask my mom for forgiveness later. But um, I'm just sitting there in my car. And, I, and all of a sudden I just look up and there's the cross. There's the cross. You can see it in different places. It's just so evident and so present in our lives. And my prayer for you today, my hope for you today is when you see that cross... There's not guilt. There's only joy. As we look at a person that gave his life for us, our response needs to be, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You would love me so much. You've seen every single moment of my life. You've seen every thought, every wicked thought. You've seen every action. You've seen every word that I've said and hurt people and done things to hurt others. And people that I love and care for and and disobedient. I've, I've tried to be God and tried to control things and tried to do this or that, and just the sins of our lives. He sees all of that. He says, I love you, I love you, and I died for you. Today, as we pray, maybe today's a day of saying, Lord, I believe you. I've heard it all my life, but I believe you today. I believe you died for me. I believe that you came and set me free, and I want to receive that. Lord, forgive me. Or forgive me for my sins. Maybe today's a day of thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Lord, God, we love you. Lord, thank you as we look at the cross, as we think about what you've done for us, God. We're overwhelmed that someone could possibly love us that much. We've seen bad examples in our lives of what love looks like. Love that has a cost or says you have to do this or that. But, but you haven't said that. You said while we were sinners, in the midst of our humanity, you died for us. You're willing to take the pain and the hurt and, the, and all of that on your shoulders so that we can be free. We can be free of all of it, all the guilt, the shame, the stuff, Lord, that you can break the bondage of sin in our lives. We can have victory, and we celebrate that today. Lord, we celebrate that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Nothing, evil, sin, death, none of it can separate us from your love. And God, we give you praise and glory today because you deserve it. You are the God that that has set us free. And when you set us free, we are free indeed. So we celebrate that today and this week and for the rest of our lives. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in your name.